This is Port of Harlem Talk Radio. I'm Wayne Young, your host for this show and also publisher of Port of Harlem Magazine at portofharlem.net. You can visit portofharlem.net and from the menu, click POH Talk Radio to hear this and past episodes. We are also available on about seven podcast platforms. Our guest today is Douglas Wilson. He is an activist, an author, and political professional who has run races in the United States at the local, state, and federal levels. He also served as a regional field director for President Barack Obama's primary campaign, political director and vice president for the North Carolina Democratic Party and the Charlotte City Council. Welcome, Douglas. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to this enlightening conversation, especially after spending so much time on Facebook with so many people that know so much but seem to know so little. <laughs> yeah. So maybe yeah, you can, well, yeah. So, so maybe you can help us all out here. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope I can. I hope I can. Um, yeah. So great, great, great. Well, thank you for having me today. Um, actually, I, I didn't serve on on city council. I. Uh, helped uh, a couple of candidates here in Charlotte get elected uh, to city council. Um, but um, I will, I guess I will uh, take that as a promotion. I'm not sure, but um, I, uh, I just wanted to just, you know, clarify that for the record. Yeah, I think we just said that you helped. I don't think we said okay. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it seems yeah. like you are, because it seems like it was very clear from everything I read about you that you're mm -hmm. the behind the scene man. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm considered that. Um, and some of my clients um, here in Charlotte uh, gave me the nickname as, of, of Ghost. Um, I can see like, that. Like, like I'm James St. Patrick or something without the drugs. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like that, that guy that's behind that's behind closed doors. So yeah, <laughs> behind the scene, I should say. Exactly. Yeah. So as a man yeah. who has worked behind the scene in President Obama's mm -hmm. primary campaign and so many mm -hmm. others since then, Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think was your most important contribution to Obama's historic victory? Wow, that's a very good question. Uh, one, I would first I'll start off by saying um, I enjoyed uh, working on on President Obama's campaign. Um, I I frequently tell folks that it was the best campaign ever run in the history of uh, the United States. Um, reason is because one. Um, I believe on that campaign that we um, really um, uh, encourage um, ordinary folks to go out and to become activists, to become elected officials, to become leaders in their community. Um, I would say I would say one of the things that I contributed to the Obama campaign and a lot of my other colleagues as well is, um, of course, helping to get Obama elected was a great achievement. But I really think going back to what I was saying. The bet, I think the, the, the highlight was creating um, a community of leaders that are in leadership today. Uh, so for me, um, a lot of my volunteers went on to be elected officials, to be volunteers. In fact, the district attorney of Charlotte, of, of Mecklenburg County, where I am in, in, in North Carolina, he's a young African-American man, and he was one of my uh, top phone bank captains um, on the Obama campaign. Um, and then there were some others that went on to serve in the state house and the state senate here. So I think my contribution to the campaign was um, doing 
fulfilling what Obama always said, that ordinary people, when given a chance, can do extraordinary things. You said your contribution was to find these people, get these people, train these people, yeah. and keep these people. Yeah. Yes, yes. And they're and they're still active today after what well, I think his that first primary in 2008. That's about what 14 years ago, if my math is correct. And those folks are still engaged to this day. You mentioned that he worked at a phone bank. And for some of our listeners who've never done that, I mean never. Okay. Yeah. Can you explain what these people do and why they're so significant to getting yeah. a person's voice heard? Let's say, let's compare this to the person who taps on Facebook all day. Why should they use that energy to volunteer at a phone bank? What's so important about that? Well, you know, um, phone banking is um, like, um, like canvassing is a way to connect with uh, voters directly to kind of form that uh, bond, that, um, that relationship. And what phone banking is uh, for the for listeners that are listening is um, volunteers that are volunteer for the campaign. They will um, meet at a campaign office and um, the campaign will, will, will provide um, cell phones for them and provide them a list of voters who are um, what we call um, likely voters that will be crucial to winning the election and contacting those voters and asking them for their support for the candidate that they are working with. The campaign will provide them a script as a guide and will provide them also um, a, um, uh, the, the, the voter's phone number and um, name and number, I said that, um, their, their name and address, excuse me. And so um, that is what phone banking is. Um, now, nowadays, uh, because of the rise of the internet and the, of course the pandemic, a lot of folks who are doing phone banks, they would do them at, um, at their house. They'll come on Zoom like this uh, with a campaign representative and they'll put themselves on mute and they'll be able to make calls from their computer and actually be able to get um, assistance in real time. Um, also, um, I think uh, most campaigns are eventually gonna start to focus more on canvassing and digital because a lot of folks not pick up their phones anymore, let's face it. Uh, exactly. not gonna answer their phones, right? They did. So it goes back to, so it goes back to knocking on the door again, right? <laughs> yeah, you're knocking on the door again. And, and you know, I always tell, I always tell folks that I train and I work for, that direct voter contact is crucial if you want to win an election. You can't sit on Facebook and try to get voters every day. Um, you know, Obama uh, was the first person to really use social media to get out the vote, but that was just one of the tools we had. Um, the main tool was actually getting directly with voters um, in person. Yeah, and I think that's really significant for you to share because um, again, the flip side is that you will find people on Facebook sitting in their house mm -hmm. trying to be effective and then say, mm -hmm. well, no one from, say, the Obama campaign ever called me. Well, they can mm -hmm. be the one that volunteers to call somebody. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the reason why direct border contact is so important, um, I use this example when I was training a class of um, campaign um, managers a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was an article in the New York Times back in 2020 uh, where there was a reporter that was here in North Carolina and they were in Fayetteville. And um, the Trump campaign had folks knocking on doors at the height of the pandemic. And they went into a black neighborhood and started knocking on doors. 
there was a black man that was in his yard doing yard work, and uh, he saw them come come around and hand him a flyer. And he told the New York Times, he said, you know, even though I'm not going to vote for Trump, I got to give them credit that at least they're here at my door and I haven't seen the Biden campaign. And so that's why it's so crucial for uh, campaigns to be in contact with voters directly, because you don't want to be, um, you know, seen or, or being known as that campaign that's not contacting voters directly. Um, and given your experience, uh, what uh -huh. tool or attribute do you think most new candidates often miss? Is this one of them or there's others? Uh, which ones do they miss, not have, or need to develop mm -hmm. when deciding to first run for public office? One, I think a lot of candidates miss the fact as to why they're running. That's one. You have to now? have um, as to why, why they are running. Sure. I think candidates miss that. Um, and I think uh, the second thing behind that that candidates miss is um, what what is the message? What are the issues you're running on? Um, I always encourage candidates that don't, you can't run as an activist. You have to run as someone who is going to be uh, um, the voters representative, wherever it's in DC or in the state house or in, or in city hall and be that voice for them for those issues. So if you know traffic is a big issue in your district, run on that, talk about that, have personal, um, just share your personal experiences with that. And uh, going back to my, my previous statement, um, you have to have, you have to know your story yourself. And I always talk about the story yourself. That's something I learned from the Obama campaign. What is driving you uh, to run for office? And you have to share that with voters. So if I'm running for office, you know, the thing, the thing I would share is, you know, um, I'm running for office. My name is Doug. My name is Doug Wilson. Uh, I'm running for, say, Congress. Um, you know, my mother and father, they immigrated to this country when they were young. My mom, as a baby, my father is a young man from, um, the, from the West Indies. And healthcare is a big issue for me because I saw how important healthcare was um, in, my, in, my, in my father's last days on this earth. And also for me personally, as someone who wears hearing aids, so I know the value of healthcare. So please join me in this fight. That's, that's like a selling point. That's, that's the story of the story, the story itself. And I think yeah, a lot of candidates miss that. Yeah, because the personal story seems to always work. It does. It does. You know, um, candidates want, I mean, voters, it is so true when it's said that voters want to elect people they can relate to, that people that, that don't give them a bunch of BS, that's just a regular person that can just tell them, tell them how it is. And the voters who, um, the candidates, I should say, who do that are very, are very successful. Before we get too far, I'm going to wait to the end to ask you, but we've gotten so yeah. much, we've, we've used so many of these uh, words that uh, are also related to marketing. Uh, mm -hmm. My personal, my background is in marketing, uh, yes. educational-wise, and of course, mm -hmm. even with the magazine, that's one of the things I think is our strength, is that mm -hmm. we, we know more than just how to be a publisher. That's something I had to learn <laughs> secondarily, actually. Marketing is my primary yeah. thing. But uh, have you ever thought of yourself or when you're with your coworkers, have you all thought of yourself as being 
not political consultants, but marketing consultants. Oh, yes, 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 we have. Because all politics is, is in my opinion, a big marketing um, conglomerate. Because what it is, is... Yeah, I can agree with have, that, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you have... No, it's true. It's true. You are because well, even the words you use that keeps 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 uh, the words we use in uh, marketing. Yeah, uh, but go yeah. ahead. Because all you're doing is unlike, say, Belk. You know, Belk is going to market their clothes and the Severn style and and what have you. Where on a campaign, you're marketing an individual and that individual's policies and their i um and their ideas. So you literally have to sell a person to a group of people but and and kind of show yourself at the same time so if you're working on a campaign people want to want to first know well why are you working for this person and you have to sell yourself and say well i i left my job to go work for x candidate because i believed in their policies on um on voting rights or something like that and so this is why I think you should support them because they're running on voting rights and also they're running on issues like education, healthcare, blah, blah, blah. And that's, and it, it, that's what it is. We are, we, are, we are marketers. That's what we do. Um, we sell people, people's ideas to other people. And you have to be, in my opinion, when you're in the, in the industry of politics, you have to be a special type of individual to want to deal with that on a daily basis because most people don't want to deal with politics every day. They just want to go to work, come home and watch, you know, take care of their kids and their family and get ready to work the next day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But before people go too far and people put a dirty word mm -hmm. on to marketing and to politics, we all mm -hmm. do marketing, even when yeah. we're trying to get a date. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or keep a mate. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You still right. use the, the politics of persuasion or the thoughts of persuasion. This is still that's the right. same. It's, it's still the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So we don't. We we're none of us are immune yeah. from it. Yeah, yeah. We're not. We're not. And um, the one thing that politics has um, done in in the last couple of years is they've tapped into big data. And for those of for those, for your listeners that don't know what that is. It's very similar to say, let's say you go on Amazon and you start looking at furniture. Let's say you look for a couch or whatever. Um, before you know it, you get off Amazon, you go on Facebook and you go on your Facebook reel, you're gonna start seeing ads for furniture from that store you were looking at. So campaigns have tapped into that to where they can know, they will know like what your interests are. So if you go to Target and you're shopping for baby clothes in Target, the next thing you know, you're going to start um, getting ads on websites that deal with baby clothes and candidates, or you will start getting ads on TV during a certain time of the day if they know that you watch a certain, a certain um, TV show. So they've, so they've tapped into that as well. Yeah, I always, I always find it frightening when someone tells me, well, I don't want to give a person my name and address because they're going to do X, Y, Z. I'm thinking they already have your name and address. They already have it. They already have it. They, they already Let have me it. show okay. you where I can show you they have your name and address. That's right. <laughs> they already do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it doesn't take that much to find out a lot, no, of, no. A lot of people. That's no, no, it, 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 yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when we when we talk about the uh, last big decision by the Supreme Court, I mean, there was a couple of them actually, but I guess the yeah. biggest one was the Roe versus Wade. Roe versus Wade uh, to get black males out to vote in light of the Supreme Court's Roe decision. What two things do you think Democratic candidates must do or say to get black males to react? Well, um, one, I think that um, what Democratic candidates have to do is first uh, talk to black men directly about um, why the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade not only affects, you know, their wife or their sister or their or their girlfriend or what have you, it uh, is going to affect them directly because if you are a black man and your wife, you and your wife or you and your girlfriend are trying to start a family, and let's say your wife or girlfriend needs to go. Um, through the IVF process, there's a good chance because of the ruling on abortion that IVF in some states may become illegal. So that could hinder your chances of starting a family. And that's why, um, that's one of the, there's many reasons, that's one of, the, one of the reasons why black men should be concerned about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. If you have a daughter or you have a sister and let's say, God forbid, they're raped, and if you're living in a state like Mississippi or other states that have these laws that are um, saying that abortions are banned, you, you know, your daughter or your sister will have to carry the rapist baby to turn and actually give birth to that baby and have this constant life reminder that the, that the baby, although you know, has no um, fault in it, is a reminder that, that, that this is my rapist's child. And, and, and I, I think that should be a motivator for Black men to turn out. In addition to that, though, I've encouraged Democratic candidates to talk to Black men directly about other issues that, that directly affect um, Black men. Uh, where, you know, whether if it's jobs, I know that's always a big cliche, but jobs is a big issue, but also I would say opportunity. Um, there's a lot of men um, like us, uh, black, um, black men, that would like to start our own businesses, um, but we don't know the first thing about how to get access to capital. Um, I started my business three years ago, and that's something that I'm still trying to find out, like how to get that access to capital. And I think they need to talk to that. I don't, I don't think that talking about criminal justice is going to be the only, the only um, issue that um, that um, black men care about, um, they they care about a variety of issues. And I think that the party and Democratic candidates as a whole, although it's very important, tend to seem to only address issues that affect women and women of color, which is still very important. But, at this, but by doing that and doing that only, you indirectly um, ignore black men. And I've seen it already. I have a family member of mine um, that is that is in that is in New York um, that said he's a Trump supporter uh, because he feels like Democratic candidates don't talk to him and Democrats keep forcing issues down his throat that he doesn't really want to address. 
So, what and I've heard want, that so from what, so what, so what does he want to hear? Um, I think he wants to hear that um, one, um, going back to criminal justice, you know, um, making sure that the system is fair for black men. Uh, two, uh, he wants to uh, hear that, and again, this is just, you know, from what I'm hearing, this is not what I'm saying, but um, that when it comes to the issue of um, LGBT issues being taught in school, his fear is that um, a lot of the stuff that's taught that his daughter is too young to learn about that. So don't call him a bigot just because he doesn't want her to learn about that. So he doesn't want to be talked down to. He wants to be talked at and have a conversation about the issues that he cares about and how you're going to address that. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we'll, and maybe we'll yeah. come back to that if I could digest it. Yeah. But yeah. um, <laughs> cause we, cause that's one of the issues that we work with uh, people yeah. in the magazine is that this yeah. idea that somehow you can partial out who's good justice. So yeah. you, we always give them a quote from Coretta Scott King that says, you know, you can't yeah. partial out justice based on your yeah. on your yeah. particular issues at a particular mm. time. You know, it's, that's right. Everybody that's right. has to has it. You just can't say mm. I want freedom, but they can't have freedom. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and you know, um, and and I think that uh, during uh, the COVID lockdown. Um, a lot of uh, black men felt like they were um, being dictated to about the, the mandates and, and and what have you. And and when Trump was president, uh, when they received the checks in the mail, a lot of black men were like, you know, I like Trump because Trump sent me a check for $1,400. So I, I think that the Democratic candidates just have to do a better job at marketing towards um, black men as well. Well, one of the issues you didn't um, bring up that I thought uh, was what could be important or could be sadly important that we put in the last issue of the magazine was that with so many uh, with the overturning of Roe, that one yeah. of the one of the consequences is going to be, as you mentioned, that there'll be black women who will have to carry babies to term and they did not want to carry those babies to term. Yeah. And then they're going to be additional paternity suits. Yeah. Tens of dollars paternity suits are going to be against black men. Yes. And therefore, there are going to be more black men who are going to have to take off work, uh, go into the court system. More mm -hmm. of them are going to get records for not paying on time, mm -hmm. and more than why to pay more money out of their pocket mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for yeah. a child that they and the lady did not want. That's right. So, do is there some way to, there's some way. Are you calculating that black men are calculating that in their head or they're just ignoring that fact? Um, or what could I, be a fact? What could be a fact? I, what I think it is, is that I think that they don't realize the severity of the court ruling and how deep it goes. I, I think that a lot of men and, and black men feel that, okay, this is just about banning abortion and that's it and not knowing it goes deeper than that like you said um if 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 they are um 
they and their uh, um and their girlfriend or their um wife um does not want to carry a child to term and they have to carry that child to term then 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 they're going to have to be financially responsible for raising that child which causes more strain on not just the mother but also on the father as well and going or back even to, worse if they're not together <laughs> yeah and in order or if they're not together then then you then you have then you have that dynamic i i really think that the 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 unhidden consequence of the ruling is ivf i know that it seems like ivf is more of a white woman's um or like you know that more suburban white women do ivf a lot of black women do ivf too and if if you know and what is, if, and if, what and can you spell out what ibf is please yeah so um ibs is a procedure in which um women are um given donor eggs um from so let's say you let's say a woman um cannot um um conceive on her own because um she may be at a point in her life where she's past childbearing age um, or for some reason, there is, she has another condition um, where she cannot conceive on her own, then she can then um, go and receive donor eggs from a donor and have that egg um, injected and, and um, have that egg mixed with her partner's sperm and injected in her directly. And so that way she can get pregnant. That's the hope that she'll get pregnant and carry that baby to term. It's 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 considered a breakthrough and and fertilization over the past couple of years, and it's very popular, very expensive. But a lot of families really lean on that to have children because a lot of Black women, in particular, are waiting longer in life to have children because they're focusing on career, you know, um, and other um, um, different factors of life, and so. Um, again, if you are married or if you're if you have a girlfriend um, and uh, you want to have a child and your wife or girlfriend, unfortunately, may not be able to um, produce enough eggs on on their own to have that child. And you turn to IVF and let's say the state says, you know what, because Supreme Court ruling IVF is un unconstitutional, then you're stuck with not um, not being able to have a family. I don't see how the IVF still became unconstitutional. It's not an abortion, though. I don't get it. It's, it's it's not, and I'm still reading more on it. But I've seen articles that come up in the past couple of weeks since the ruling came out that the Supreme Court may their decision may affect that. Um, is, is that I B as in boy F or what now? Oh, I is in India, B is in Victor, F is in Frank. It, it's right. called. IVF in vitro fertilization. I I is in India. V is in Victor. F is in Frank. Um, what I think maybe the reason why it may be affected by the abortion ruling because it's um it's weird. It's uh I think they may view it as not natural. I don't know, but there's been a lot of concern lately, and, and I, I encourage you, your listeners to Google it and look it up. Um, um, it, it is coming up in a lot of um, a lot of uh, mainstream and um, 
reputable news news publications. Yeah, I've heard of it, but I just couldn't put the connection together. To be frank with you, yeah, <laughs> I was like, "How what they got to do with abortion? I don't get it." <laughs> but you know, yeah. so given that, uh, well, given that twelve to fifteen percent of black men voted for Trump in twenty sixteen, mm -hmm. and helping mm -hmm. him to victory. Mm -hmm. which led him to placing three of the five justices who voted mm -hmm. to overturn Roe. Yeah. How much responsibility should Black men accept for the consequences for voting for Trump and the chances of them being hit with paternity suits by women that got pregnant, wanted abortion, but could not get one? Well, you know, um, that's a very good question. Um, I think I'll answer it like this. I, I think that... Um, not just black men, but um, a lot of voters who voted for Trump for whatever reason, believing in his policies or believing in the fact that he was a non-politician that could change Washington, um, you know, should um, feel some type of, um, I guess, I guess responsibility uh, to, um, to what has happened to the country um, as a result of um, Trump's presidency, I I would say with any mistake that anyone makes, there's always opportunity after that. Um, yes, there was folks that voted for Trump. In my opinion, I felt like that was a mistake. Um, it was very obvious at the time what he was going to do. But I think the opportunity here to change that would be to go out and, and vote for candidates this year that um, are going to be for um, coddling Roe Ro versus Wade and protecting women's rights. And not just that, but also voting rights and um, key economic issues. Um, because uh, we live, in, an, we live in, a, in, a, in a democracy and stripping rights away from women, uh, to me, uh, is, is a very dangerous move by the courts because um, they may not stop there. Uh, you know, Justice Thomas said they can look at contraception or even gay marriage after that. Uh, so, you know, um, voting to me is, is, is just as essential as um, making sure that your family is fed every day and they have a roof over their head. Well, I'll just say that so far when we ask people about the responsibility of Black men voting for Trump, yeah. how, how much yeah. responsibility they take, uh, yeah. people are not willing to give a very strong answer, but I'll take your answer that it's an opportunity to do something. Yes, yes, it is. To, I, I mean, to at least, um, to, to at least correct uh, yeah, I, what, you, what you help create. <laughs> yeah, I, I think what happened is and uh, voters um, sometimes uh, let their anger about issues cloud their judgment and not and what I mean what I mean by that I'm not saying that they have bad judgment I mean anybody when you're angry you can make it a, a life changing decision or a very big decision when you're angry that's not the best time to make it and um, I think when Trump was elected in 2016 I don't think there's a lot of there was there was some anger um, with Obama about, you know, the bailouts and all of that that happened in, from in, uh, in 2008. And, but I also think there was complacency. I think that Black men felt, oh, we got a brother, you know, we had him in the White House for two years. 
you know, um, Trump, he seems like he's kind of gangster, you know, he's, he, um, you know, he says, um, he says what he means and means what he says. And, and of course there was massage, there was some misogyny, you know, is a woman really ready to be president? And then I always, I also heard that a lot of black men, um, uh, blame President Clinton for the 94 crime bill and locking up a lot of black people back then and that's a whole nother story i have my, yeah we um, dealt with that one that. too i we dealt with that yeah. one too and that was so bizarre yeah. i keep telling them most of the yeah. black politicians support it too <laughs> yeah and and i and i said that too and a lot of the a lot of the black men i spoke to that were uh, against um uh clemson um uh, you know i'm like guys you weren't born at that time when you were kids i know i was living in new york in the 90s and it was bad <laughs> and so we know, I mean, the, the country was, we had a bad crime. It's worse than we have today. And so um, I think that the government just act, reacted to the time, but they could not foreshadow what, what the result of that list is, let's say, been 20 years ago. But let me add, though, but it just yeah. wasn't just a white people reacting or not foreshadowing. I mean, I tell people yeah. today when they said this whole thing about, mm -hmm. and I'm, then I'm going to let you end it, um, mm -hmm. this whole idea of, um, defunding the police. I kept telling them, you go to my hometown yeah. in Gary, Indiana, which is 80% mm. black. We've had yeah. black mayor since 1968, except once. And you yeah. cannot stand in the middle of Gary, Indiana and tell a black man at Gary that you want him yeah. to defund the police. They'll look at you and look like you're insane. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, I, I am from Jamaica, Queens, and you cannot tell my friends and family Jamaica, Queens, about defunding the police. Um, I, I think it's a very... Um, it's a very, uh, you know, sexy thing to say, defund the police, defund the mixture science, you're an activist, that you are, um, you know, woke, whatever, but it's not realistic. Um, you know, um, defunding the police is, is not something that we should be doing. We should be talking about police reform and changing a lot of the tactics that they use. But at the end of the day, if somebody breaks into your house, somebody's trying to kill your family, who you're going to call it's not going to be it's not going to be ghostbusters it's going to be the police right so, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so exactly. yeah so if they're if, if they're if they're if, if they're funded are well, you going to have some guy with a flashlight coming to your house trying to get rid of the, the guy that broke up the house yeah oh, before you go you had to tell us you mm -hmm. said that you were author too but doesn't mention what book you wrote yeah, so um, back in 2008, I wrote a, a book called The Sacrifice, and it was about my time on the Obama campaign. And the reason why I called it The Sacrifice is because at the time I was in my late 20s, and I gave up my job in healthcare to go work for this unknown um, senator um, at the time was considered having a long shot to, 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 the, to the presidency. And um, I talked about this, the struggles of, 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 of the campaign, the people that I met, um, also about um, the effect the campaign had on people. I also even go into where I talk about the sacrifice where after the campaign was over, there was this, you know, we had the Great Recession and I was affected by that because I was out of work for about two years after that. And although the 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 chances of being out of work I knew going to the campaign was going to be great. I knew that the country needed Barack Obama at the time, and I don't regret it. And I also learned a lot from being um, out of work those um, those years about 
um, you know, um, about the importance of um, having uh, that financial um, ability to take care of your family. Um, I also um, learned about your, I learned more about myself, about, about finding your passion about working in your passion and, and also not letting a job just define you as well. So it was definitely a, a, a key point in my life to the point when if, if I meet somebody, or I know somebody and, and they're looking for a job, I really try hard to help them find a job because I know what it's like to be out of work and to have that shame, even though you should not feel the shame, but you can't help but to feel that way. And and the struggles of that as well. Okay. Well, Doug, I want to thank you so much for your time and for your yeah. words. I mean, it was just yeah. uh, good to hear it straight from uh, yeah. uh, a man's mouth who's been in the trenches. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I appreciate you um, having me on today. I really do appreciate All it. All right, man. Thanks so much. Yeah. Uh, okay. Take Thanks care. a lot. You have a good one. Okay. okay. Bye bye.